What's happening in the world right now coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Both Republicans and Democrats are throwing cold water on the idea of a short-term debt ceiling increase before the June 1st default deadline. We hear from both sides. This week's highly anticipated Fed decision happening today, a quarter of a percent increase likely already baked into the cake. The big question is when there will be hints at a pause of rate hikes. A judge allows a removal case against a Soros-backed prosecutor to move forward. What the prosecutor has to say about the allegations against her. An army recruiting shortfall again. Many Americans at the prime age ineligible as they're overweight and undereducated. This while China seeks skilled recruits to prepare for a high-tech regional war. Pfizer gave money to countless groups that then pushed for COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Some of the groups helped Pfizer lobby the government. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Our first piece of news is out of the Persian Gulf area. Iran has captured another oil tanker in the waters. That's the second ship unlawfully seized by Tehran in a week. The U.S. Navy released video of the interception this morning. The footage shows an oil tanker flying Panama's flag seized by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps' Navy. This was then the ship that was passing through this narrow Strait of Hormuz, one of the world's most important oil shipping lanes. Tehran claims the seizure was based on a judicial order after someone filed a complaint without providing further details. Iran also seized a Marshall Islands-flagged oil tanker last week. Analysts say Iran is retaliating for a recent U.S. seizure of some oil cargo on another tanker. Both Republicans and Democrats are balking at any short-term debt ceiling increase before the June 1st default deadline. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are saying. With America possibly defaulting on its debt hanging in the balance, Democrats and Republicans remain dug into their opposing positions. On the one side is President Biden and most Democrats calling for a clean debt ceiling hike. And on the other side, Republicans insisting any increase must be coupled with spending cuts to reel in the federal deficit. Senator Richard Blumenthal reflected on the gravity of the situation. We are literally on the cusp, at the precipice, of a historic cratering of the global economy. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin says that over $31 trillion in debt is unsustainable. Manchin says putting off the discussion on spending cuts to a later time doesn't make sense. Why don't talk about it now? Make sure that we have agreement that this is something we all are concerned about. Senator Maisie Hirono says lawmakers need to make it clear that the U.S. won't default on the country's debt. And then we will have negotiations on future spending. That's where we should be. Meanwhile, Illinois Senator Dick Durbin says he's not in favor of a short-term increase, saying he doesn't want to play this movie over and over again. I think the results otherwise will be disastrous for our economy. Chair of the House Freedom Caucus, Representative Scott Perry, says Republicans will not approve any weeks or months-long debt ceiling increase. The congressman says it would have to be tied to some other measure to show some good faith. Meanwhile, Speaker Kevin McCarthy also shot down the idea of a short-term stopgap last week after House Republicans passed a bill to raise the debt ceiling. Senator Mitch McConnell says the path forward is clear. They have got to have a measure that can pass the House. How does it pass the House? It has to have the support of the Speaker, and I'm behind the Speaker. But House Democrats may still have a trick up their sleeve. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries signaled that Democrats are moving forward on a clandestine plan. It involves a discharge petition to force a vote on raising the debt limit. That's a long-shot tactic that would need at least five Republicans to vote for it. But Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene threw water on the plan on Twitter, saying, Sorry, there won't be five Republicans who sit in tight districts willing to sign a discharge petition to bring Joe Biden's clean debt ceiling bill to the floor. That would be a career-ending move unless they want to switch parties. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Federal Reserve is set to release an interest rate decision later today. A hike of 25 basis points is highly expected. That would be the central bank's 10th straight interest rate increase. This is the fastest series of rate hikes in more than 40 years. For more on what to expect, let's go to Business News with NTD's Don Ma. 
All right, thanks, Kevin. So what you need to know is that for today, the focus is not on how much the rate increase will be itself from the Fed. Rather, more people will be looking at the language surrounding the hike. All eyes will be on what Fed Chair Jerome Powell says in his speech today. And here to talk to me about this is Joseph Trivsani, Senior Analyst at FX Street. So now 25 basis points pretty much expected at this point. But what do you expect with the language from Jay Powell? Well, thank you for having me. I think this is going to be one of the more tricky uh, news, news conferences and also the language perhaps in the statement that the Fed has had in a number of years. I think they need to pause. I think they're going to pause after this, but I don't think they're going to announce a pause. And they're going to say, well, we have reached the end perhaps of what we projected to begin with. Inflation has diminished. It's certainly not conquered. And we're going to assess. I think that's all they're going to say as far as giving the markets any forward guidance. Yeah, I think I think the market is going to look for any hint at all on whether Powell is going to pause or not. Do you think Powell is going to give that hint? I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to say that we're going to assess. But that is simply a different way of saying we're going to pause. Markets the market, the credit markets are convinced that this is the end of the rate hikes and that at the third and then the third and the fourth quarter, we're going to get rate cuts. So the Fed doesn't want to go that route in its rhetoric, even though I think it's probably going to get there if the economy develops as everyone and certainly the Fed, I imagine, is expecting. Right. Uh, a lot of people expecting rate cuts later this year. But right. is, is that likely, do you think? I think there we have, I think it is more likely than not, because I think the economy is slowing. After all, the Fed's purpose in raising hikes is to control inflation, but you control inflation by reducing economic activity, by reducing the job market. That's the way it works. So the Fed may not come out and say that, but we've already seen some results in the GDP numbers for the first quarter. They're 1.1% down from 2.6% in the prior quarter. So I think the Fed is not going to say all these things, but I think it's going to be evident in what it, how it phrases the uh, assessment of the economy. So we had the bank failure just a couple of days ago. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about that. How do you think the bank failures factor into what the Fed will do if it does at all? Or what do you think the Fed feels about all this? Well, how would the Fed handle, the way to ask, they get the answer to answer the question, how would the Fed handle a widespread banking crisis? Well, it would reduce rates. So I think that's becoming another issue for the Fed. It doesn't appear so far that this is a widespread crisis, certainly that it's not going to spread to some of the largest banks, but it is already hitting all of the regional banks, not just the ones associated with the tech market, not just the ones associated with California, but all of the regional banks took a hit yesterday. So is are there more problems out there? The problem so far has been largely one of perception, meaning that what happened to these banks is they lost deposits. and. It hasn't worked so far that the banking, the FDIC and the Fed actions have stemmed the perception problem. And I think what's going to be a problem for the Fed is that inflation might be sticky at around 4% and it's going to see that. What, what are your thoughts on this? I think that's true. I think the Fed does have a problem because if the economy continues to slow, we are headed right into stagflation because there isn't any sense so far that there is a serious um, diminution of inflation. It has come off a bit. It certainly has come off from the peak, but there's still plenty of money circulating around. There's still demand. There's still probably some pent up demand. In addition, people have jobs. There's no sense so far that even if the job creation has slowed a little bit, the jobs available have come off a little bit and um, layoffs have increased, there's no sense that their people are really worried about their jobs yet. If they're not worried about their jobs, they're probably going to keep spending. That will keep the pressure on prices. All right, Joseph, thank you so much for talking to me today about this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, if the Fed does indicate a pause later today, it wouldn't be surprising at all to see a rally in the market. All right, back to you, Kevin. 
All right, turning to congressional ethics, a congresswoman is raising some eyebrows for recent stock trades involving failed bank First Republic. House Democrat Lois Frankel of Florida revealed she dumped First Republic stock before its collapse and then bought J.P. Morgan stock before the bank bought First Republic. Frankel revealed the sale in a financial disclosure form filed last month. She told CNN she was not involved in the business transaction. The Florida congresswoman says a money manager handles her finances. And he buys stocks and sells stocks at his discretion. Frankel is not facing any investigations. A law passed in 2012 prohibits House and Senate members from trading, buying, or selling stocks based on information they may have obtained as a member of Congress. A new bill would stop members of Congress from owning and trading stocks. A bipartisan Restoring Faith in Government Act would also apply to their spouses and dependents. It was introduced by four members of the U.S. House, including Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Matt Gates. Ocasio-Cortez says members of Congress have access to classified information, so they shouldn't be trading in the stock market based on that. While Gates added that members of Congress are spending their time trading futures instead of securing the future of their fellow Americans. The two other sponsors are Representatives Brian Fitzpatrick and Raja Krishmathurti. The manhunt in Texas is over. The suspect accused of killing five of his neighbors is in custody. He was arrested yesterday after a four-day search. Authorities say he was found in a house just miles from the home in Cleveland, Texas, where the shooting took place. The Mexican national was caught hiding in a closet underneath some laundry. The home was linked to one of his family members. Investigators are now looking into if everyone helped him evade arrest. The FBI was led to the location from a tip through their tip line, and officials say the person that called in will be getting a $80,000 reward. Here's what the local sheriff had to say about the arrest. The suspect is in custody. I have just left Montgomery County Jail where he was taken, and he has been magistrated. He now will be taken to my jail and uh, where his new residence will be. The suspect is set to appear in court today. He's an illegal immigrant and has reportedly been deported at least four times in the past. The Mexican consulate will be formally notified of his circumstances. Removal proceedings against an embattled prosecutor are continuing. That's just days after she vowed never to resign from office. Here's the latest. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner is currently fighting legal battles. That's for allegedly not prosecuting crime properly and her office being severely understaffed. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey is making a case against Gardner for removal from office. Gardner's lawyers argue that she committed no intentional acts that would warrant her removal. Bailey is a Republican, Gardner a Democrat. Judge John Torbisky is presiding over the case. On Tuesday, he ordered 7 out of 10 claims against Gardner to move forward. The judge said he came to the conclusion that Gardner willfully failed to prosecute cases, make charging decisions, keep victims informed, and ensure defendants and victims receive a speedy trial, as Bailey alleges. At the same time, Gardner also faces other accusations. Last week, a judge found her office often doesn't show up at court proceedings. A hearing for indirect criminal contempt is set for May 30th. At a public meeting at a local church over the weekend, filmed by KSDK News, Gardner said she won't leave office. And I'm not going to, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not leaving, I'm not resigning, not I'm not doing nothing. You're going to have to remove me. That's right. yeah. You can't take me out. Yeah. can't take me out because I'm not afraid of none of this. Gardner, who received funding from billionaire George Soros, is seeking re-election in 2024. She says that before she came into office, the local police department directed the previous prosecutor, which is why her office is understaffed now. They came in there and told you what to do, how to do it, who to charge, what to charge, and what to make the case. And I said, we're not doing that today. And I I lost a lot of attorneys because they're afraid of standing up for what's right. In terms of Gardner's removal case, judges will have to be changed. A Missouri rule allows a change of judge once in every civil case. No questions asked. Gardner's attorney is making use of this rule. The U.S. Army is expecting to fall short of its recruiting goal again this year. Army Secretary Christine Wormuth told Congress they're doing everything they can, but they won't hit the 65,000 new soldier benchmark. 
Last year, the branch fell short of its 60,000 recruit goal by 15,000. Meanwhile, experts say the Chinese regime is preparing for a high-tech regional war. I wanted to discuss the causes and ramifications of the U.S.'s recruitment problem and how China's ambitions play into this. So I spoke with a former military officer and national security in China expert. Joining me now is retired Colonel John Mills, senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy and author of The Nation Will Follow, first-hand experiences fighting the deep state and the action plan for the American citizen. John, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, Kevin, thank you. An honor to be back with you on your show. Recruiting problems are stemming from high body fat content and low academic performance. That's among these 17 to 24-year-olds. What can be done about this? Are there more preparatory courses that the Army launched last August that can be put into place, or do we need to change school lunches? Seriously, what can be done here? Well, actually, Kevin, you're, you're actually hitting the nail on the head. After 50 years of the hue and cry of uh, children somehow don't know how to feed themselves or families don't know how to feed their children in government programs, uh, we don't have a nourishment problem in America. We have an obesity problem. And uh, what you're seeing from the Army is they are addressing a symptom, not a cause. And adding in these additional layers is not going to do anything to address the root cause, which is essentially a breakdown in society. I call it the climbing the test fence, or climbing the fence test. In, In the old days, which was not too long ago, children knew how to climb a fence. Now, when you bring them to a fence to climb it, they kind of stare at it. They don't know what to do. And this is what's happened to American youth, and we have to change this. Yes, we have to get the youth the resources they need to be capable of taking up these positions. In in light of this, the recruitment challenge comes as China is changing its recruitment rules. They're looking for experts. Experts are saying they're looking to prepare for a high-tech war, and they're looking for highly skilled personnel, which includes former soldiers, and more recruits who can handle high-tech weaponry. Is this alone enough to motivate the United States to get its recruitment act together? Yeah, they, uh, as bad as we have it here, the CCP and the People's Liberation Army have similar, if not greater, issues because of the one-child policy. They don't have combat experience. They are still essentially a parade military that look fearsome in parades, but when they contact Indian soldiers, Vietnamese soldiers, it's going to be trouble because they do not have fighting experience and they mimic us on everything and they see as bad as we have it they still see the professionalism of many who have served in the u.s military and they're trying to replicate it i don't think it's going to work a parade military that is an interesting way to categorize it now for example former pla lieutenant colonel yao chung he's saying that chinese just don't have the will to fight they just have no stomach for war. Would this affect the morale for a potential invasion, invasion of Taiwan? And what does this suggest about cohesion within the PLA and the current loyalty towards the Chinese Communist Party? I think that Lieutenant Colonel was spot on in many ways. Other than Vietnam in 1979 and then in the Korean Korean War where they were, my, my own uh, uh, Asian uh, father-in-law uh, mowed down Chinese running up a hill at them uh, under, under duress, uh, they had, don't have fighting experience. And this is a real, real negative on their readiness and preparation. It's also, uh, the Chinese population is gonna be very unhappy when they see their only sons because of years of one-child policy uh, drown in the Straits of, of Taiwan. Yes, well, excellent analysis from you. Retired Colonel John Mills, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Always an honor to be on your show. Many organizations that pushed for COVID-19 vaccines received money from Pfizer. The amounts ranged from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Journalist Lee Fung first reported the revelations Financial disclosures show which groups received money before or during the time they began speaking in favor of the vaccine. The range of organizations is large. The Chicago Urban League president said in August 2021 that the benefits of mandates far outweigh concerns about them. She did not mention that her organization received a $100,000 grant from Pfizer. 
The American Academy of Pediatrics drew more than $250,000 from Pfizer in 2021. Most of that money came before the organization announced support for vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. Pfizer also gave grants to private institutions that imposed COVID vaccine mandates on their staff. Pfizer and the groups that received its money did not respond to requests for comment. Governor Ron DeSantis and other Florida elected officials could soon have greater privacy. A new bill would allow their travel records to stay private. The bill would restrict certain records held by law enforcement from being made public. It applies to security or transportation services for DeSantis and other elected officials. It would also block DeSantis's existing travel records from being released. Republicans argued in the bill that disclosing these records could pose a risk to officials or hamper law enforcement. Democrats argued that the measure will prevent the public from knowing what DeSantis is up to and who he's meeting with, pointing to the fact that taxpayers are footing the travel costs. The bill still needs DeSantis's signature. Nevada Republican Jim Merchant announced yesterday that he will make a run for the U.S. Senate in the important swing state. Merchant became known nationally for his vocal support of former President Donald Trump's claims of a rigged election in 2020. But the most serious threats come not from Beijing, Moscow, Tehran, North Korea. Where do they come from? Washington. Washington. I will be a common sense, America first, for the people, senator. Marchant says it doesn't matter now whether he believes the election was stolen or not. The Republican candidate says all he wants to do is go forward and make sure no other elections are stolen. According to Marchant, most people in America don't have confidence in the election system. He says it's important to ensure that people know their votes are properly counted. Texas Democratic Congressman Colin Allred has announced he's running for Senate in 2024. The former NFL player announced today his bid to unseat Republican Ted Cruz. Allred has represented Texas's 32nd congressional district since 2018. He raised $3.5 million during his re-election campaign last year. That kind of fundraising ability will be important, with Cruz already having more than $3 million on hand. Cruz faced a stiff challenge from Democratic Congressman Beto O'Rourke in 2018, ultimately winning re-election by under three points. President Biden is nominating four judges to federal district courts. The new round of nominations is for four seats, is for seats in D.C., Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut. The process to fill judicial vacancies has slowed down, in part due to Senator Dianne Feinstein's two-month absence. In an effort to fill these vacancies, the White House says it's reaching out to senators on both sides of the aisle. And caught on camera, a Virginia officer narrowly avoided being hit head-on by a teen driver allegedly going 120 miles per hour. Fairfax County Police released this video Tuesday of a crash that sent two people to the hospital. Police say a patrol officer was approaching a car during a traffic stop Monday when another car crossed over the median and smashed into the same car. The speeding vehicle spun out of control and swerved into the opposite lane, nearly hitting the officer who just barely jumped out of the way. The officer sustained minor injuries but went to check if both drivers were okay. Police say 17-year-old speeding in a BMW caused the crash. The teen driver, two passengers, and the driver of the other vehicle all suffered minor injuries. The teen is facing charges for reckless driving. A sheriff's deputy in Florida went above and beyond on Sunday to help deliver a baby on the side of a highway, and it was all caught on his body camera. According to the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, a driver approached Master Deputy Red Jones in a panic. He said his pregnant wife was about to give birth in the front seat of the car. Jones immediately sprang into action, and he assisted the mother in giving birth to a baby girl. The sheriff's office says Jones was thrilled to help, and it was actually his third time helping a citizen deliver a baby. Both the mother and baby were taken to a nearby hospital to get checked out. According to the sheriff's office, Jones suggested the family name the baby Red after him. And coming up, we have defense industry experts from Taiwan and the U.S. vowing closer collaboration. They want to strengthen Taiwan against Beijing's military threats. 
And in New York, a newly arrived Chinese immigrant announces his break from the Chinese Communist Party. What's behind his decision? We'll have the details for you in just a minute. Great to have you back. We're continuing our coverage with making Taiwan's defense capabilities stronger. That was the theme at a meeting between U.S. and Taiwan defense specialists in the island's capital. We want to be part of the self-defense capabilities of Taiwan. We want to make sure that the supply chain resilience and that Taiwan preserve, we can preserve and expand Taiwan in the international space. Because of the a close interaction between uh, ta Taiwan Strait, uh, Taiwan and China. Uh, there are many cases of uh, semiconductor technology uh, being stolen and bought by China, which also made the United States worry about that uh, uh, technology transfer to Taiwan. Uh, there are some risks or danger that might uh, also transfer to China. Most countries will not sell weapons to Taiwan for fear of angering Beijing. Even the United States has been unwilling to provide Taiwan its most advanced fighter jets like the F-22 or F-35. And Taiwan has no direct answer to China's new J-20 stealth fighter. This has driven Taiwan to develop home-built defense systems as part of a strategy to make more weaponry itself. The island is investing in the development of fighter jets and long-range missiles. Taiwan's Air Force has to send back Chinese fighter jets daily. Jets sent by the Chinese regime constantly breach the island's air defense identification zone. China's blocking thousands from leaving the country, including foreign executives. That's through the use of exit bans. Reuters noting an eight-fold increase in court cases involving such bans in recent years. Foreign business lobbies are voicing concern. Spain-based rights group Safeguard Defenders highlighting the use of exit bans in a new report, estimating tens of thousands of Chinese are barred from leaving at any one time. And it goes beyond Chinese citizens. The report cites a 2022 academic paper that found close to 130 cases of foreigners being exit banned between 1995 and 2019, including 29 Americans and 44 Canadians. Safeguard Defenders says since Xi Jinping took power in 2012, China has expanded the legal landscape for exit bans and increasingly used them, sometimes outside legal justification. The report notes that those barred from leaving China include ethnic minorities such as Uyghur Muslims and Tibetans, rights defenders, activists and lawyers, and Chinese people with financial disputes. Examples include an internet user by the name of Gao Jian posting about officials cutting up his passport when he tried to leave the country in 2022. The wife of a former independent bookstore owner in Shanghai was stopped from leaving the country last year. The family moved to the States after authorities shut down their bookstore. But in 2023, the wife traveled back to China to care for her ill mother, but was stopped at the border. Authorities questioned her about what her husband was posting online. I'm in a state of constant stress and anxiety, and I don't know when I will be able to hug my wife. And a human rights lawyer was barred from leaving in 2021. Authorities stopped him at the Shanghai Pudong Airport as he was headed to the U.S. to visit his cancer-stricken wife. The day before, he had written an open letter to Chinese leader Xi Jinping asking to leave the country on legal and humanitarian grounds. Officials said he was held under an exit ban. Reuters' analysis notes that most of the cases were civil, not criminal. That's in contrast to the U.S. and European Union, which imposed travel bans on criminal suspects, not civil claims. According to a Chinese judicial report, exit bans saw an over 50% increase, with 34,000 people barred from leaving in 2018. This comes in contrast to Chinese authorities signaling the country was open for business post-pandemic. In New York City, one Chinese man is making a public statement and severing ties with the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. What prompted his decision? 
Here's the story of Chen Xiaolong, a newly arrived immigrant from southern China's Fujian province. Last week, Chen Xiaolong and his wife took to the streets of New York City for a special parade. I am thrilled to be part of this event and this group to quit the CCP. Two days after the march, Chen visited the city's Global Service Center for quitting the CCP, also called the Global Tuidong Center. The facility assists those who wish to sever their ties to the Chinese regime. There, he collected a certificate, verifying he had quit the party and its affiliated groups. I was aware of the nature of the CCP when I was in China, but I didn't dare to say so until I arrived in the U.S. Now, by quitting the party, I can show that I am done with it. That's why I came to pick up this certificate. The parade marked the anniversary of an event from 24 years ago, a peaceful petition by adherents of Falun Gong. The spiritual practice teaches meditation and centers on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. On April 25, 1999, tens of thousands of Falun Gong practitioners lined up in Beijing. They asked authorities for the right to practice their faith freely and to stop police harassment and defamation in certain cities. That was before the regime launched a nationwide persecution campaign against Falun Gong later that year. The CCP has been lying for its own benefit since the beginning. For their own selfish gains, they didn't want Falun Gong to expand, so they lied about it being an evil cult. In fact, the real evil cult is the CCP. Chen pointed out that in the U.S., people can talk freely and live their lives as normal people should. But it's a different story in mainland China. To do business there, you have to send gifts and money to communist officials, treat them to feasts and entertainment. Only then can your business survive. In the U.S., it's different. The society here is fair, just and equal. For almost two decades, the Global Tuidong Center has been helping Chinese people living around the world withdraw from the CCP. More than 400 million people have quit through its website. Chen has a message for other Chinese immigrants to the U.S., especially those aligned with Beijing and pro-communist groups. It is China that we love, not the Chinese Communist Party. NTD News, New York. A meeting between the U.K. and China, Britain's Foreign Secretary James Cleverly expects to meet China's vice leader Han Zheng when foreign officials visit London for King Charles's coronation. Cleverly told BBC Radio that it would be counterproductive for the UK to gag itself by refusing to talk to Beijing's representatives. The foreign secretary indicated he will raise issues including Hong Kong and human rights abuses in Xinjiang and stressed that engagement does not mean agreement. UK-China relations are at their worst in decades after London restricted Chinese investment over national security worries and expressed concern at Beijing's increasing military and economic assertiveness. While the leaders of France, Germany and Spain have visited China in recent months and called for engagement, the U.S. and Britain are taking a tougher approach. Some U.K. lawmakers have strongly criticized the planned meeting with Han Zheng, who was in charge of Hong Kong affairs for the regime. Sir Ian Duncan Smith said it was outrageous to invite the man responsible for trashing the international treaty on Hong Kong. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Russia is pointing the finger at Ukraine after two drones allegedly targeted the Kremlin. The Kremlin says it was an assassination attempt on President Vladimir Putin. Former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro speaks after police target his home in a raid and seize his phone. We'll have more shortly, right here on NTD News Today. Russia accused Ukraine today of a failed bid to kill President Vladimir Putin. The Kremlin says two drones were used in an alleged attack on Putin's residence in the walled Kremlin compound. It says the drones were disabled by electronic defenses. There was no immediate comment from Ukrainian authorities on the statement from Moscow. The Kremlin described the actions as a planned terrorist act. 
That's the most dramatic accusation it has leveled against Kyiv since invading its neighbor more than 14 months ago. Russia also said it reserved the right to retaliate, suggesting that Moscow might use the alleged incident to justify a further escalation in its war with Ukraine. A Russian state-owned news agency said Putin was not in the Kremlin at the time. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is meeting with Nordic leaders in Finland today during a surprise visit to the country. Zelensky's spokesperson says the talks will focus on boosting Kyiv's military capabilities and looking for concrete steps to bring it closer to joining NATO. The Nordic countries have been among the strongest supporters of Ukraine. Finland and Sweden both applied to join NATO in response to the invasion, which Moscow said was aimed in part at blocking expansion of the alliance. Zelensky's visit to Finland was just his fourth known trip abroad since Russia's full-scale invasion. In other news, Brazilian police raid the home of former President Jair Bolsonaro and seize his mobile phone. It's part of an investigation into his COVID-19 vaccination records. The purpose of the search and seizure at the home of former President Jair Bolsonaro, a vaccination card. I did not receive the vaccine. It was a personal decision of mine after reading the Pfizer package insert. They took a photo of my wife's vaccine card and she had the Janssen vaccine in the United States and my 12-year-old daughter, Laura, also did not get the vaccine. I am surprised by a search operation and seizure for such a reason and I have nothing more to say. The police are investigating how Bolsonaro was allegedly registered as vaccinated in his health records made public in February. Police say it was false data that allowed Bolsonaro to get around vaccine restrictions in Brazil and in the United States. Bolsonaro denies wrongdoing. He said he has nothing to hide and that the phone seized by police is not password protected. He says he wishes Brazil was a democratic country where all subjects could be talked about, including the vaccine. Federal police in a statement said they carried out 16 search warrants and six preventative arrests warrants in two Brazilian cities as part of the operation. Two sources say police arrested two of Bolsonaro's personal assistants. Tragedy hit a Serbian school today. A teenage student fatally shot eight of his classmates. A security guard was also killed and another six students and a teacher were injured. A 14-year-old boy shot his teacher in Belgrade classroom on Wednesday morning before opening fire on other students and security guards. Several were killed, Serbia's interior ministry said. Police said a seventh-grade student had been arrested. Local media are reporting that this was the suspect being taken into custody. The father of one of the pupils in the class at the time said the boy started shooting randomly after shooting the teacher. Casualties are being treated and an investigation into the motives behind the shooting is underway, police said in a statement. Mass shootings are comparatively rare in Serbia, which has very strict gun laws. But the Western Balkans are awash with hundreds of thousands of illegal weapons following wars and unrest in the 1990s. Serbian authorities have issued several amnesties for owners to hand in or register illegal guns. An international crackdown on one of the world's largest criminal networks. German and Italian police took action against Italy's most powerful mafia group today. Over 100 people were arrested. German police arrested dozens of suspects in an early morning raid. Bavarian police say these arrests are the result of an over three-year-long investigation. In Italy, police made more than 100 arrests nationwide. The mafia, known as the Ndrangheta, originated in southern Italy. Investigators say the group smuggled nearly 27 tons of cocaine between October 2019 and January 2022. It also funneled more than $24 million between different countries. Eight European countries came together for the operation against the mafia group. As of this morning at 4 a.m., more than 130 Bavarian police and special forces have been active, mainly at the request of Italian authorities. That's to do with an investigation against the Andrageta, and we accuse them, especially here in Munich, of money laundering. Simultaneously today, several raids and arrests were made in Italy, but also in Germany, Spain, Portugal, France, Romania, and Slovenia. Once again, we have seen that investigations on this scale can only succeed through intensive international cooperation among several European countries, as well as with Eurojust and Europol. 
over $66,000 in cash and several banned weapons were seized. The suspects are charged with money laundering, criminal tax evasion, fraud, and drug smuggling. And just ahead, Italian farmers use precision irrigation to save water during the hottest months of the year. They use software, underground humidity probes, and aquifers to help. At a Swedish preschool, children play outdoors for at least two hours a day. Physical activity is part of the national curriculum, and it's an opportunity to learn in the real world. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. Italian farmers are investing in precision irrigation to save water during the hottest months of the year. But the region is still set to struggle if the rain doesn't come. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the agricultural details. The Po River, Italy's largest, is already as low as it was last summer. So Italian farmers are investing in precision irrigation systems this summer. Drones record the crop's water content. It will fly over the entire field, according to a pre-established grid, in order to collect some indicators on the vigor of the plant and, in particular, to gather some factual information on the water requirements and, therefore, the crop's demand for water. Software, underground humidity probes, and aquifer levels give exact indications of where, when, and how much water is needed to irrigate the fields. The sensor is a resistance-type sensor that basically measures the ease with which water can be extracted from the soil and therefore indirectly the stress the plant has to endure to draw the water from the soil. The sensors measure each hour and we tend to come here to acquire the data on a daily basis. Pascalone Farm is one of the places using these methods. Last year was a struggle to keep the pear orchard alive with temperatures reaching more than 100 degrees. In the last two years, the drought level has had an influence on a lot of the crops. Both the grasses and especially tree crops, such as pear trees, despite having the irrigation system. But the effect, let's say, of osmosis between the dry soil and the irrigation system did not help the plant itself, which went into stress. Sprinkler irrigation methods can be wasteful. Drip irrigation releases water at slower rates. In particular, underground drip irrigators can use up to 70% less water. With the technology and the new irrigation system, we have certainly halved our water consumption from around 42 millimeters per square meter to 21. And this has certainly benefited also the plant because it takes in precisely what is needed. These water-saving improvements are definitely a big help but the region's farmers are still praying for rain. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Swedish preschool children play outdoors for at least two hours a day as part of the national curriculum. The natural environment provides the kids an opportunity to learn in the real world. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the lesson plan. The classroom can only take students so far. Eventually, they'll have to survive in the real world. At these rain or shine preschools, most lessons are outdoors. This group of two and three-year-olds has been studying fire for the past six weeks. It's easier to see how a fire works and how to light a fire uh, and to talk about what you need to light a fire. You need the heat, you need the materials, you need the oxygen. Uh, if, if one is it's not there, it's going to blow out. The pupils chop the wood they'll need for fires. Today, they made pancakes. They divide a big one equally for all the children to eat, but it's also a math class. It's much better for kids to learn in authentic environment. So if we're gonna teach them about dividing and counting, I'll be counting uh, kids, I'll be dividing the pancake. These Rainer Shine schools started in 1985. They offer a conducive environment for learning and overall well-being. The cortisol level goes down, the serotonin level goes up. It's, uh, I mean, the cortisol is the stress hormone. If, if you go to a green and blue environment, the stress level goes down and the concentration will be higher and 
it's better to concentrate. Preschoolers are also taught how to take responsibility for themselves. It's good for them to, to learn how to handle their own stuff. Uh, and it's also very, they're very proud that they can do that, that they can carry their backpack and that they can open it and, and bring out their water bottles if they need. We need it. Children who attend these forest schools are outdoors many hours of the day. Learning how to look out for your friends is one of the most important lessons. We also work a lot of taking care of each other. Because that's the same thing. If you want to take care of something you like, you take care of your friends. And we believe that if you, if you take care of each other, it's, it's a much better place to be for all of us. After a warm lunch, the kids are tuckered out. So they grab their favorite pillow or stuffed animal for their daily nap. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up next, doctors are trying to treat a dangerous kind of irregular heartbeat with radiation. It could help prevent about 300,000 deaths in the U.S. annually. Stick around for the details right here on NTD News Today. Doctors are using radiation in a bid to treat a dangerous kind of irregular heartbeat. Researchers think it could reprogram misfiring heart cells. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on the potentially groundbreaking treatment. Ventricular tachycardia is a rapid heartbeat, unable to properly pump blood. The condition is responsible for about 300,000 deaths in the U.S. annually. Ventricular tachycardia is a life-threatening fast heart rhythm, and it's the most common cause of sudden cardiac arrest. This past winter, Louisville resident Jeff Backus passed out. When he regained consciousness, he felt like he'd been kicked in the chest. It's kind of like being lightheaded 20 times over. It's just, And when it happens, I know it's like, okay. The first time it happened, I wasn't, I thought, well, okay, I can stand here, it'll go away or whatever. And then, but I just went down. Backus chose to undergo experimental radiation in February. So far he's doing well and he's eager to make more progress. My family lives in Tennessee, so when this happens, I can't go see him. I've got a great nephew that's playing baseball down there in college. I would love to go see him play, and until I get released, I can't. Doctors typically thread catheters inside the heart to burn the misfiring tissue. The resulting scars block the bad signals. Radiation is much less invasive. We have patients where that vest of electrodes that I was talking to you about before, the non-invasive mapping system, and so in just one or two beats, we can map the electrical part of the heart and we can see where is the start of that arrhythmia. Dr. Clifford Robinson is a radiation oncologist. He says aiming at the heart wasn't on his radar at all. The thought process at that time had always been, and still is for most patients with cancer, to try and give that focused radiation just to the tumor and minimize doses to surrounding healthy tissues critically one of those being the heart. The FDA hasn't approved the treatment yet, but the doctors have gotten permission to treat about 80 more people on a case-by-case -case basis, and nearly 400 patients are participating in an international study to evaluate it. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Now to a new episode of Strong Mind and Body, where we look at how to treat dark circles under the eyes in a natural way. Here's NTD's Gina Marie. Do you sometimes wish you could wear something over your head to hide the bags under your eyes or the dark circles? There are a few factors that can cause the formation of pouches under your eyes or the raccoon look. They can be caused by insufficient sleep, a night of heavy partying, allergies, too much sun exposure, aging, eczema, pigmentation problems, and genetics. You can even get dark circles from eye and ear conditions like binocular vision dysfunction and hyperacusis. Whether the dark circles under your eyes are a temporary problem or a chronic one, it doesn't matter. Here are seven natural ways to treat them even if they are inherited. Number one, stay hydrated. Drinking six to eight glasses of water daily can help to improve circulation and move fluids through your body. Number two, apply cold compressors. Hold a cold washcloth over your eyes for five to 10 minutes. This can help to shrink eye bags. You can also use a cold metal spoon or chilled cucumber slices. 
Number three, embrace green tea. The catechins in green tea can boost blood flow to the skin. That slows skin aging and improves eye bags. Number four, get sufficient sleep. Experts have shown that insufficient sleep can result in poor facial circulation. This can lead to a pale complexion, bags under the eyes, dark circles, and sagging skin. Number five, boost collagen. As we age, our tissues and muscles sag more. That includes those around the eyes. Increasing the amount of vitamin C and amino acids in your diet can help. Number six, try oils. Both vitamin E and coconut oil are good for bags and dark circles. Gently massage either one under your eyes. And number seven, reduce salt intake. Salt causes the body to retain fluids. This can result in puffy eyes. Watch your salt intake from the shaker and processed foods. As you can see, you don't have to live with dark circles or bags under your eyes. Nature has provided us with many natural solutions. An American has died during his climb on Mount Everest. Nepal's tourist department says Jonathan Sugarman's body has been airlifted to the capital of Kathmandu. He died after feeling unwell at Camp 2 on Monday. The U.S. Embassy says it's in contact with his family and local authorities. Sugarman was part of an expedition arranged by Washington State-based International Mountain Guides. He was one of about 450 climbers who were issued permits for this spring season's expeditions. It takes nearly two weeks to hike to Mount Everest Base Camp, which sits at an altitude of about 17,000 feet. And a Kentucky woman turns 100 years old. To mark the event, the mayor of Williamstown gave Beulah Willoughby the city's highest honor and read a proclamation celebrating her birthday. The mayor gave Mrs. Willoughby a key to the city at her birthday party. It was attended by friends, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. She told the mayor it's taken her a long time to get here. The governor of Kentucky also wrote her a letter marking the occasion. Mrs. Willoughby was born in a city less than five miles away from Williamstown. She worked in a baseball factory and did ambulance service work. She married in 1940, and she and her husband raised two children together. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. I think people have a deep fear of death. To know that consciousness survives death is eye-opening to a lot of people. If you look at this book we have coming out, for instance, you'll agree that consciousness survives. Watch new episodes every Saturday on NTD Television at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and on Epic TV at 9.15 p.m.